welcome to the Awakening Church podcast. We exist to awaken this generation to new life in Christ. Thanks for tuning in. To find out more, go to awakeningchurch.com. Welcome to Awakening. I haven't said that yet. And if you're new, my name's Ryan, and we're absolutely thrilled to have you join us. And uh, Merry Christmas. Um, I know it feels a little bit early for some to say that. You're like, wait, aren't you supposed to say that on December 24th? Um, But I'm just so excited for Christmas this year. I have lots of reasons. Uh, But our hope is um, this Christmas, this Advent season, we're in this series, Majesty, that, that in the hurry of the season, in the chaos of shopping and parties and family events and kids' pageants and all the rest, that, that we would actually, in these moments together, reflect and pause for the reason for the season. I know we get overuse that, but it's true. Where we would once more have our hearts awakened afresh to the reality of the majesty of the Incarnation. That something happened 2,000 years ago as a result of which our world, and for many, your world, is a radically different place as a result. Uh, And so, it's interesting, the early disciples, the first followers of Jesus, when they talked about uh, this Advent season, the birth of Christ, they didn't... Uh, talk about it uh, like, hey, there's this nice thing, or um, I have some doctrine for you to believe. Here's a set of, you know, theological statements. The way they talked about the events surrounding the birth of Jesus and his life, they called it this, really good news. They said, let me tell you about some really good news. Something happened in the outskirts of Bethlehem that is like crazy. Let me tell you about it, okay? This is insane, and it's good. In fact, the earliest writings that we have, the accounts of Jesus' life, it's not known as the Bible. I don't know if you know that or not. It's known as the, anybody? Yeah, Gospels. You have the Gospel of Matthew, you have the Gospel of Luke, you have the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of John. Gospel means good news. This morning as we're talking, I want to tell you about some really good news. And what's interesting about this really good news is that um, for Joseph, for Joseph, this wasn't immediately good news. Now, when the angels showed up, uh, the angels, you know, declaring the birth of Jesus, he said this to uh, the shepherds in the field. He said this. Uh, Next slide. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Now, this is amazing. Angel shows up in the field to the shepherd and says, I'm going to bring you incredible news. And it's good news that causes what? Great joy. Like this news is so good, it will cause you great joy. And here's what's so radical. It wasn't just for some people. 
It wasn't just for the right people who happened to be born in the right, you know, place under the right conditions. He says it's for all people. This was unheard of in their day. He says, I have news that is not just for the VIPs of the world, for the super spiritual, for the super elite. I have news for every single person on the planet. And it's good. Now, Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, when he got this news, it wasn't immediately good news. In fact, it ended up being really bad news. It was probably perhaps the worst news he'd ever had in his life. Um, when we talk about the Christmas story, we don't talk about Joseph a lot. He kind of gets overlooked in this, doesn't he? Like some of you were thinking Joseph the minute I said it. And you're like, Joseph, like the multicolored coat Joseph? No, 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 different Joseph. This is, this is Mary and Joseph Joseph, right? <laughs> but Mary, well, we talk about Mary a lot and... Maybe Joseph gets overlooked because um, we actually have no recorded words or sayings of Joseph. Did you know that in the Gospels? And maybe Joseph gets overlooked because Mary did all the heavy lifting. <laughs> right? I mean, that's fair enough. Maybe Joseph gets overlooked, and maybe you didn't know this, is, is most likely Joseph died in Jesus' teenage years. And so he wasn't there throughout the entire course of his life and I don't know what the reason is. Here's what I know in our day today. The, when we overlook Joseph, we're actually overlooking something so powerful and significant about the Christmas story. And so this morning, if you will, I just want to take a moment and look at the Christmas event through the eyes of Joseph. If you got your Bibles, uh, would you open them up to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18? We pick up the story here. This is the story of Joseph's Christmas event. Verse 18, it says this way, it says it this. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. Now, Matthew is writing this, uh, this account, and I love he opens up here. In Luke's uh, version of the gospel, we get Mary's perspective, and I love Mary's perspective. And when you kind of compare Mary and, or Luke and Matthew, you get Mary's perspective in Luke, and the gospel of Matthew, you get Joseph's perspective. And it's kind of like a couple that is sharing, you know, the story of how they met, and so, like, you no, know, this is how it actually happened, or this is what, you know, from my perspective. And so when you see Mary's, you know, undertaking or writing or account of the birth of Jesus, it, it goes in this way. It's like, and she treasured these things in her heart. And you see that over and over. In fact, in two weeks, we're going to talk about Mary and look at it through her lens, and it's wonderful. Now, when Joseph talks about his account, he goes all the way back back to when he first heard the news that Mary was pregnant, the worst day of his life. Matthew goes on. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Now, dun, 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 this is the bud. This is like, oh boy. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. This is life-shaking, world-shattering news for Joseph. I am pledged to be married to this woman. She's pregnant, and I'm not the father. Uh-oh. And then, 
And then think about this. Mary has this like, um, kind of like trying to explain this. Think about this. Okay, so you're telling me you're pregnant. I don't have to tell, you don't have to tell me. I can see, pregnant. Um, how, how again are you pregnant? Holy Spirit. Okay. Now, how does one go about validating a Holy Spirit pregnancy? You know, is there like a litmus test that you can go about that? You're like, okay, no, go on the shelf, you're pregnant. What kind of pregnancy? Holy Spirit pregnancy test right here. Thank you very much. Think about this from Joseph's perspective. Now, for us to understand the weight of this moment, we have to actually understand kind of the ancient Jewish marriage process. And there's three stages to the ancient Jewish marriage process. It was arranged marriages, and many cultures today still go about arranged marriages. Why? Because they believe the weight and significance of marriage is such a big deal that it shouldn't be left up just to the whims of the heart. And so there's three stages. There's the first stage, the engagement stage. Now, it's not like our engagement stage. This happens when the kids are young. Parents or even a professional matchmaker will say, okay, these two would be a great fit. And so there's this setting aside from a very young age. And so think about this. You're four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You know who you're going to marry. It's already been arranged. Now, at any point, the girl can actually back out of that arrangement if, if she is unwilling to marry this man. And then it moves then from the engagement to the betrothal uh, stage. Now, the betrothal stage is you're actually officially legally married, but you're not officially married. I know, that's confusing. See, there is a year period upon which you're married, but you're not like married married, if you know what I mean. Some of you do. And in that period, you're legally married before the law. In fact, the only way you can get out of it is by a legal written note of divorce. And so they, Mary and Joseph are in this stage right now, the betrothal period, where they're legally married. And what would happen is, think about this, Joseph, during this period, it's a year-long period, Joseph would take his time and he would go to his family property and home. He would begin to start building either an addition onto the house, and if they were, had a little bit more finances, he would build his own house on the family property. He's going to take a year of preparing to welcome his bride home. This is what Joseph has been doing when he finds out Mary is pregnant. Imagine the weight and the pain of leading up to what's marriage proper and you have the big wedding ceremony and you consummate and now you're full-fledged married. He's been working and waiting and he shows up and his bride that he knew he was going to marry since he was a kid is pregnant. Oh, how painful is that? How difficult is that? It goes on. He says... Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. Literally, that's one word in the Greek. It's, it's righteous. Because he was a good man. That's the way we might say it today. Because he's a godly man. Because he walked with God. And, and yet, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, in their culture in the day... It, a woman caught in adultery literally 
could be stoned to death. She would definitely be ostracized from her community, carry the mark of shame. Now Joseph is looking at his options. He's going, man, my whole world just came crashing down. My future plans and the house I've been building, they've all fallen apart. Been there? And he had every right, every right to go, this is not fair, and I don't believe you, by the way, Holy Spirit, whatever. No, 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 no. Maybe you went and slept, you're unfaithful, you're not the woman I thought. Maybe something else happened, you were violated, I don't know, but I don't know what to do. And as he pondered and as he prayed, he was a righteous man, he cared so deeply. We get this picture of Joseph here, we can learn so much. That instead of reacting in anger, instead of demanding his rights, he responds with kindness. He responds with mercy. In fact, this this little line here reveals Joseph being as tender and caring as he possibly could within the confines of their culture. And then it goes on. It says, but after he considered this, I love that line, consider. As he, it means that he finds out Mary's pregnant and he doesn't just react. He finds out Mary's pregnant and it, you know, it's cut and dry. Good. Hey, I'm going to just throw you out onto the court of public opinion. I'm just going to let you get what you deserve. What it says is he considered, and this word consider, next slide, it means to process information by thinking about it carefully. It means to think deeply and form a plan. Do you think, I'm, I'm not, never mind, I'm not going to put it on you, I'm going to put it on me. I would go, I have nothing to think about. Honestly. Right? I'd be, the woman, I'm pledged to be married. We're actually legally binding married right now. I've been building a house. She's pregnant. I have nothing to consider. I have nothing to ponder. I have nothing to deliberate about. I just have a decision to make. And it says, no, no, no. He took time. I mean, how many times do we misstep in our culture because we don't consider? Because we shoot first, don't we? And then ask questions later. In our culture, we're so emotionally driven reactionary that I think it fails us often. We can learn much from Joseph as he says, in heartbreaking, painful news, as he's processing it, he doesn't just react, he considers. And it's in that considering moment that God shows up. Don't miss that. Because I think sometimes we run so quick, we miss the moments God's trying to speak to us. He says, but after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Notice what it says. Joseph, son of David, connecting his roots back to the great king. And this is one of those textual markers for us, reminding us that the God who promised the one day king of kings would come. He's he's like, Joseph, you're in that line and I'm up to something. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Why? Because she What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Well, that's how you test, actually, a Holy Spirit uh, birth. Angel. Some of you were wondering. Somebody says the Holy Spirit birth. says, fantastic. An angel will tell me if it's true. 
She conceived is from the Holy Spirit. Now notice this. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, or Yeshua. It means Yahweh saves. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. And in fact, if you're in your Bible or on your notes, just underline that. He will save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophets, the promise-keeping God, what? That the virgin will be conceived and give birth to a son, and they will call him, say it with me, Emmanuel. Why? Which means God with us. This is where really bad news becomes really good news for Joseph. This is the moment where he realizes, oh, Mary wasn't lying, praise God. And where God shows up to Joseph and says, by the way, I have a special assignment for you. Your character already showed it in the way that you responded in this moment why I chose you. But I, have, I want you to care and to nurture the Messiah, the Son of God. I want you to help father him in a way to raise him up that he might lead his people. I have a, a precious, incredible assignment for you, Joseph. Now, I think for some, when we think about this story, the question still remains, what makes it really good news? I understand that it's news, a baby was born, thank you very much, but, but what makes this such good news? I want you to notice just two things in the text here with me. The first thing, I had you underline it, it says, you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. It's easy to look around in our world and see that it's broken, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, you just look at our government, you just look at the world stage, you look at climate change. We don't have to look very far to go, this world is broken and need of healing and restoration and redemption. You just don't have to look very far. You don't have to look for most of us outside our own home, outside our own life. Now, what's interesting is the way we try to solve the brokenness of our world. And for many, the way we're trying to solve the brokenness of our world here today in the U.S. and all around is through two avenues. We just think if we had more education, our world would be better. You know what? If we just had more education, then we could create this utopic, perfect society. Or, or no, no, no. You know what will save our world, what will heal our world is more technology. We need the right technology. We need better technology. And if we have more and better technology, then all things will be right. Now, here's the problem. We have more education and more technology, and yet the brokenness only grows. See, the problem is we've misdiagnosed the root issue of the brokenness of our world. It's, it's something that we don't want to talk about and we don't readily identify with anymore. The root cause of pain, the root cause of brokenness, the root cause of suffering in your life and in the world is the word 
sin. Technology will not fix it. Education will not resolve it. See, this is what sin is. Sin is the cancer of our world that perverts and destroys everything that is good and beautiful in this world. See, the problem, I just want to give you this, the problem is not out there. The problem's in here. See, every single one of us, me, I, I'm, I, whoo, I'm a sinner. The problem is in me. I don't stand on this stage going like, wow, I have it all together. Follow me. I go, man, I am broken, and I'm one of the chief brokenest persons here. I know, poor English. That was really broken English. Hey. <laughs> See, every single person is a carrier of the sin cancer. See, every single one of us, I wish we could say the problem's out there, but every single one of us says, says, no, 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 we are part of the problem. We are part of the brokenness. See, the reason this is really good news is because you are not a mistaker. You're a sinner. And I'm not a mistaker. I'm a sinner. And Jesus said, I came to solve the greatest problem on this planet. I came to solve the greatest problem in your life. The greatest problem isn't in your life isn't somehow to get a better job. The greatest problem in your life isn't somehow to have the perfect house or maybe meet the right person. The greatest problem in your life at the core and the root of it is sin. This baby, this is the reason people freaked out about this, okay? And we got to return to it in our day. The reason they freaked out about it, this baby was the solution and still is the solution to the greatest problem in our world. Now, it gets even better than that. Like, like it's not just that God wants to save us. And by the way, the only time you'll recognize that this is good news is when you recognize that you need saving and declare, hey, I need a savior. Hello. I can't fix the problem on my own. I've tried more education, more willpower, more technology ain't going to fix it, and it's not going to fix our world. We need someone to save us. That is when you begin to realize this is really good news. And then it gets better than this. Notice what he says. He says this, they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. This Jesus isn't just a good man. He was the God man. This Jesus isn't a prophet from God telling you what do you need to do to find God. It's God to come to this planet to find you. It's God with us saying, man, I, I'm pursuing you. I am loving you. I am moving after you. You don't have to wait for, like, to get your life figured out and fixed up and somehow presentable to me. I am the God who enters into your mess to come and heal you. This is your God. This is really good news. So, this is Joseph's bad news, 
turned into incredibly good news. And the question, the question for you and the question for me, is how are we to respond to this news? What do we do with it? And I want to invite you to respond exactly the way Joseph responded. There's, the way Joseph responded, we can sum it up in a single word. Where is it? It's over here. Faith. In fact, in this, um, this single sentence is one of the clearest definitions or unpacking of faith I know. It says in verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. When Joseph woke up, he did. That's faith, right there. If he woke, it's popular to be woke today, isn't it? In fact, Webster defines woke this way. Aware of, you didn't know Webster defined it woke, did you? You're like, <laughs> aware of and actively attentive to important facts and issues. Man, it is on trend to be woke and post your wokeness. <laughs> Heavy hearted today. See, there is this two step reality to faith. There is this awareness. You have to be actively aware of the reality of your need, that the brokenness isn't out there but in here. And you have to be attentive that you have a Savior who came for you, God with us, who's not down on you, who welcomes you in. That is the first step of faith. But if we stay in just wokeness, it will do you no good. And for some, you've overcomplicated faith. You've made faith an intellectual, you know, like I just have to blindly believe, yada, yada, yada. No, faith is rooted, rooted in history and in reason. Joseph, he believed because he had a moment of clarity of an encounter with God. See, faith is simply this. Faith is your doctor giving you a diagnosis and then you taking the medication she gives you to bring about healing for your sickness. That's faith. And your faith. And my faith is to move from being aware and the first step of faith is, wow, the brokenness isn't out there, it's in here. The first step is, okay, I, I got to wake up. And then he did. Believing to the point of action. See, faith is the confidence that God is who he said he is, and he will do what he said he will do. And so you, you don't just have this like, I have this faith here, and yet it doesn't affect my life. That is not faith. That is not biblical faith. If you have this intellectual kind of fire insurance faith and then you live like hell over here, that is not faith. That is called being deceived. He says this. I love how John Ortberg says faith. 
Faith is coming to believe with my whole body what I say I believe with my life, my mind. See, there's this element. And this element in this moment right here, for many, as I've been talking, is this waking up period. For some, you've been in the church your whole life, and this is the woke moment. Oh my gosh, I always thought the problem was out there. I just always thought willpower. I always thought if I tried harder. I always lived under this guilt and feelings of ought and manipulation, all these sort of things. And you wake up, God is for you. And the problem's in you. And so you need a savior. Faith is calling out and saying, today, today I believe in you, Jesus, that you came for me, that you died for me, that you love me. And so now today I follow you. You know, Jesus never called his disciples to believe in him. You know what he said? Follow me. Today, as imperfectly as I can, but as, as wholeheartedly as I am, I'm going to take a step and follow you. What does this mean? This means whatever you say, I'll do. God, however you define life, I'm going to begin to follow in the ways of Jesus. I like how Tim Keller said it. Christian faith is not a negotiation, but a surrender. We try to negotiate with God, don't we? Go, God, okay, huh. I'll do this, but not this. I like this, but not this. And we pick and choose and negotiate. No, no, no. Surrender is the final step of faith for you this morning. See, in a world full of bad news, there's incredibly good news available to you this Christmas season. The solution to your greatest problem has already arrived. And so we light the candle of faith. Faith. Waking up to the reality that God loves you, that God came for you, that your greatest problem has been solved in the incarnation, God with us. And for some, this is a moment where I want to invite you to take that step of faith and place your trust in Jesus. And so I'm just going to pray a prayer. I'm going to invite the band to come on up. And in this morning, if you woke up and you're like, okay, I need to say yes to the invitation of a Savior. In this moment, would you say yes to the prompting of the point? You're like, man, that tug of war that's going on inside, that is the Spirit of God working in your life. And you just pray this simple prayer. Heavenly Father, I realize I'm a sinner. I've never said those words. I never even knew that was what I was until this morning. I realize I need you. You came for me. You love me. You died for my sin and shame. And you rose again to life. And today you've offered me life and I say yes. You've offered me forgiveness and I say please. You've offered me love, and I say thank you. Would you come into my life and make me new? In Jesus' name.